Hello, everybody. I'm Grace Kolich, and this is the third and final episode of Service Dog's current accessibility standards and how they can be improved. Over the course of the past two episodes, we've discussed the difference between service dogs and other sorts of working animals, things that service dogs can do, who they help, the requirements you have to meet in order to be able to have a service dog, uh, as well as federal law, airline law, housing laws, and um, some state laws versus uh, other countries, specifically Canada. Now, in this episode, we will be talking about how the standards in America specifically can be improved. Now, as mentioned in, I believe, the previous episode, uh, I talked about how in Canada, in some areas, you're required to have your doctor's note with you at all times. And hypothetically, this sounds like a really good idea in America, except for one problem. In America, there's not universal health care, and not everyone is able to go see a doctor, which would, quite frankly, make it almost discriminatory. But even though we argue that, there is another uh, issue with the laws for housing and airlines. If it is a psychiatric service animal in an airline, you need to have a doctor's note, and in housing, you need to file a reasonable accommodations request to have a service animal, which, once again, requires a doctor's note. So, basically, if you're disabled and have a service dog, you don't need a note unless you're flying or going into housing. But I think, overall, the biggest issue with asking for some sort of proof is If you have a wheelchair, you don't need to show proof that you need the wheelchair. If you have an oxygen tank or a feeding tube or a walker or a cane or any other sort of medical equipment, you don't need to show proof that it is medical equipment when you're entering a public place. So hypothetically, the idea of requiring a doctor's note might work if we had universal health care, but it would still be discriminatory in the sense that It's discriminating against the type of medical equipment people use. If you're a general member of the public without any physical disabilities, you don't need to show proof that you don't have disabilities to go into. So why do you have to show proof that you do have disabilities in order to go into a place? So overall, I believe that requiring a doctor's note of some sort would be simply wrong, both legally and morally, especially when you look at standards for other pieces of medical equipment. Now, the second thing I want to touch on is churches. Just about anyone and everyone can enter a church. It's technically a private place of worship, but members of the public can go freely in and out as they please with the vast majority of them. Yet, under the ADA, churches are not required to allow service animals into the premises. While I understand the whole concept of it being a private institution, any other sort of private institution really doesn't have the ability, unless it's a house, to deny a service animal. If you go to, let's say, a backstage concert that is private, it's not accessible easily to the public, you are still allowed to have your service animal with you. The fact that a church isn't because it's a private place of worship 
doesn't really make sense in the scheme of things. There's supposed to be a separation between church and state. Now, don't get me wrong and don't get the idea of that wrong. That doesn't mean that a church doesn't have to follow state rules. But rather what it means is that the church's concepts and ideas of how things should work shouldn't be what the laws are. And when we look at that instance, it kind of is. There is a separation, not in the sense that the church is um, able to follow state law, but there's a separation in the sense that they're doing what they want, how they want it, and we are legally allowing that today. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't believe that service animals should be allowed everywhere. There are current stipulations in place that don't allow them everywhere, and most of those honestly make sense. Like in a restaurant kitchen where food is being prepared, in a factory where food is being prepared, in a sterile area of a hospital like a surgery room or intensive care unit for the burn unit. These all make sense. The presence of a dog could affect the quality and um, general presence of what is occurring, and so legally it is not reasonable. Now, a lot of times people who are unaware of these laws tend to generalize them. There have been a lot of instances where in places like tattoo shops, tattoo uh, artists will attempt to deny a service animal because they say it's a sterile environment, but it's not. That's what people need to realize, the difference in separation of these things. Any member of the public in any clothes not sterilized can come from anywhere and get a tattoo, and that's the fact of the matter. Yet, so many times, unknowledgeable people will attempt to deny a service animal's access into these places. And another huge thing is people tend to claim, this isn't a corporate business, it's family-owned, this is local, this is a local franchise, privately owned, so we're allowed to deny a service animal. And that's simply incorrect as well. Which brings us to the point that most owners of businesses, most managers, most employees honestly have no idea as to the laws regarding service animals and what they truly mean if they know them at all. A lot of employees also think that service animals have to be registered, which is another topic I'll get into later on in this podcast episode, but it needs to be, I'm honestly not sure what the best method of doing it would be. I do not have extensive experience in a business ownership or anything like that. I do have a small online business where I sell crafts, but I don't own a physical store. So I'm not sure what the best method of it would be, but awareness needs to be spread to employers, employees, everyone regarding the industry about not only service animals, but about any type of medical equipment, but specifically due to this podcast, service animals, when they can, can't be denied, and all that fun stuff. So... When can service animals be denied? Well, I've discussed this briefly before, and I'll briefly mention it again, but if it's an animal other than a dog or a miniature horse in the vast majority of the states, uh, if the person claims it's something other than a service animal, so if they say emotional support or protection, it can be denied. If it's out of control, not listening, 
barking incessantly, disrupting what's going on in the environment and not potty trained, and especially if the animal is aggressive, it can be asked to leave. But store owners tend to be afraid of being sued. So instead of protecting the safety of the general public and actually learning what the laws are, they sit back and let the animal yap and yap and yap and distract and disrupt what's going on in the environment. The general rule of thumb for service animals is four on the floor, and that is what it is in the vast majority of situations. However, they can be carried if it has to do with what their task is, such as blood sugar detection for someone with diabetes or an insulin problem or blood pressure detection or any of those sorts of things. Um, Service animals should never, ever, ever be in shopping carts. Never. And employees can ask a person to leave if they have a quote-unquote service animal in a shopping cart. Yet, once again, most store owners don't know this. And a bunch of fakes in an environment simply distracts and disrupts what's going on, especially if there's an actual legitimate service animal present. It puts the legitimate service animal and their handler in danger. If the fake were to distract the real service animal and the real service animal missed an alert, it could be the difference between life and death for the handler. There's also a huge issue because oftentimes members of the public who think they have a service animal because it's registered simply aren't aware as to what it means to have a service animal. All of these fake registration, certification, online websites are scams. They legally mean nothing and they just take people's money. So people think that they have an actual service animal because it's registered, but that's simply not the case. There needs to be bans put in place for these scam websites. The only reason that they're technically illegal is because they have a disclaimer at the bottom of the page, it's always there if you look, that says, this does not comply legally with the standards set under the ADA or something in that matter. And people don't read that far ahead. They just Google how to certify dog as service animal, click the steps, pay $200, and they're on their way, thinking that they can take their dog into any and everywhere. So in general, there's a huge misconception in the public. Personally, I didn't know any of this until I started looking into getting a service animal myself. One of my mom's friends has one for seizure alert, and I began discussing the differences. She told me about the scams. I began researching it myself. But if I was any general member of the public, I probably wouldn't know that they're all scams, and I probably wouldn't feel as passionate about it as I do. But I'm getting my prospect in May. I am going to become a handler myself. So seeing all these instances of fake service animals just absolutely bombarding the environment makes me worried for my safety, for my animal's safety, and for the safety of other handlers. Another change that seriously needs to occur is when it comes to airlines. Airlines are allowed to discriminate based on dog breed, and on top of that, um, they require doctor's notes for psychiatric service animals grouping psychiatric service animals with emotional support animals. This is 
quite frankly, wrong in all ways. Emotional support animals aren't trained. They can be very helpful to a person, and they could technically be trained, but they're not trained for public access. They're not trained to do tasks. So grouping a psychiatric service animal with emotional support animal simply just continues to create a barrier between visible and invisible disabilities. I personally know a few people, one of my friends, Natalie, actually, who has a seizure alert dog. You can't see, though, that Natalie has seizures. She's not in a wheelchair or any of that. She looks like a normal, healthy, functioning human being. And for the most part, she is. She tried to go on a flight, I believe, to Florida. This was about a year ago. And they attempted to, first of all, deny her because she didn't have registration for the dog. And then second, they attempted to deny her because she didn't have a doctor's note for a psychiatric service animal. She doesn't have a psychiatric service animal. She has a medical alert and response service animal. But nonetheless, a doctor's note shouldn't be required for a psychiatric service animal. And this is a very, very controversial statement in the service handler community. But honestly, I can understand the breed restrictions with emotional support animals. Emotional support animals don't have to be trained in any sort of way. You don't know their background or anything else about them for that matter. But service animals are trained and trained and trained and trained for one and a half to three years. Denying a service animal that's completely trained based on a perception of a breed is wrong. And when it comes to housing, emotional support animals and service dogs are grouped into one category known as assistance animals. All assistance animals need a reasonable accommodations request. And I've talked about in the previous episodes what does and doesn't constitute as a reasonable accommodation. But once again, the grouping of emotional support animals and service animals is incorrect. And it shouldn't be that way. Emotional support animals, I understand the need for reasonable accommodation, and I do understand in some aspects for service animals, especially in instances where it would make insurance rates go up for the landlords, if the landlord's only renting one property, so on and so forth. But I think as a general rule of thumb, if a landlord owns more than four properties and the insurance wouldn't be affected, a reasonable accommodations request should not be needed. Because, once again, not everybody in America can afford to go see a doctor at all times to get a note, especially if they've just moved and the doctor isn't completely aware of their medical history, and now they need a new note because the other one's invalid because they're not seeing that professional anymore. Now, I know this episode is going over 15 minutes, but I'll try to keep it brief from here. All in all, I believe that the ADA is good for the most part. I completely disagree with their stance on churches, and I do believe that that is something that needs to be changed. But when it comes to treating a service animal as medical equipment, which it is, it does a pretty good job. The big issues come with airlines and housing. The fact of the matter is, it's not required for you to see a doctor in America, and a lot of people don't have the resources to go to one. Emotional support animals and service animals should never be grouped together. Yes, they're both very helpful for their disabled owner, but service animals are trained, and that's that. They're task trained and public access trained and just trained. 
And the other thing that seriously needs to be improved is employers and employees' knowledge on the situations. The knowledge as to what accommodation means. Not the fact that everyone has to drop everything they're doing to cater to the person, but to treat the person and their service dog as the service dog is a piece of medical equipment. To treat them like a person like you would anybody else, disabled or not. So thank you for tuning in to this final podcast. I hope you learned if you didn't already know these things, and I hope you can kind of understand why I feel the way I do based on the laws and everything else. And I hope that if you ever come into contact with a situation where a handler is being denied access, that you can stand up for them legally doing what's right and morally doing what's right. Thank you once again for tuning in. It's been a pleasure.